We sent her to travel singing. She was little. <laughs> Some of y'all have travel ball. Y'all get that in a moment. Amen. <laughs> oh, man. For you that don't know, that's my girl. One of them. She's a mother of four of my grandchildren. Joe Dare's the mother of my other three. And my mom's here today. Happy Mother's Day, Mother. Right there. My mother-in-law's here also. Jolene, right back there. My mother-in-law, Patsy's mother. And my beautiful wife just came in the door. Happy Mother's Day, Patsy. And Joe Dare. Happy Mother's Day to all of you today. Just want to say... Happy Mother's Day to each and every one of you today. It's a national day that we recognize our mothers. I know that it's a sensitive day. I recognize that. You recognize that. Some of our mothers have gone on to be with Jesus, and some even this year. So it's very sensitive. Uh, Mother's Day, and we recognize that, but we want to honor our mothers today. And so we want to do that today. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand in honor of our mothers. Let's just all stand together, all right? Amen. Happy Mother's Day. All of you. I love my mama. I'm about to act right today because she's here, all right? But anyway, Washington Urban said this, A mother is the truest friend we have. When trials are heavy and sudden, sudden fall upon us, when adversity takes the place of prosperity, when friends desert us, when trouble thickens around us, still she will cling to us and endeavor her kind precepts and counsels to dissipate the clouds of darkness and cause peace to return to our hearts. That's a mother. She patches our hurts and kisses our wounds and makes things better. To the world you are a mother, but to your family you are the world. Amen? Elaine Hefner said this, The art of motherhood is to teach the art of living to children. Mothers are always constantly teaching their children. And I like this one. A mother's hug lasts long after she lets go. Right? Now, no Mother's Day would be complete without what little Johnny has to say about a mother. So he asked his mother one day, you know, that little Johnny's always asking, you know, just questions and things. He said, Mother, are people poisonous? She said, well, little Johnny, I don't know. I don't think they are. Why in the world would you ask me, are people poisonous? He said, because I just bit my tongue. <laughs> Mom, why do, why do you know, I said, Mom, do you know why mother kangaroos hate rainy days? And she said, no, little Johnny, I give up. Why do mother kangaroos hate rainy days? He said, because the kid kangaroos have to play inside. <laughs> Amen. Well, happy Mother's Day to all of you. We just sincerely, sincerely wish you a happy Mother's Day and hope you'll enjoy the day. There's a lot of 
uh, women out there that would like to be mothers who can't. And so we are sensitive to them today and all of you who are mothers. And as I said, some mothers have gone on before us. And so we thank God for them. So I want to pray today for our mothers. Let's just pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you, Lord. You are our king, and we worship the king today. Thank you, Lord, that we have access to you, Father, through your son, our king, and our savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, today is a special day in our land as we recognize our mothers. And I certainly thank you for my mother who's here today. Lord, there's a lot of mothers who have gone on before us, and we thank you for them, for their example, their testimony, their legacy, how we miss them and how they've touched our lives and made a difference in our lives. So we pray for all of those and for the mothers, Lord, who want to be moms and cannot. We pray especially for them today that you would comfort them. I pray you would use them in various ways, Lord, today to make a difference in others. And so, Lord, today as we open your word once again, we just want to say thank you for all the mothers in our land today. And we want to pray and thank you, Father, for all that you do for us and how you bless us. And so, Lord, we want to bless you today. And we love you and we praise you today. And again, Lord, thank you for this special day in our land as we celebrate our mothers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn with me to uh, Revelation chapter 2 as we continue our series in the book of Revelation. Today's going to be an original message. I bet you never heard a Mother's Day message on Jezebel. (laughs) I just about can guarantee it. Well, you know, I'm not the norm, right? And so today I'm going to preach on Jezebel, on Mother's Day. Why? Not because you're a Jezebel by no means. Who in God's green earth would name their child Jezebel? But anyway, I'm preaching on that because I don't want to skip over Revelations today. And so it's the next next church in line, Thyatira. We're going to talk about that church, the corrupt church. And so I want to continue our study as we look at the seven churches. Right now we're in Revelations chapter 2. We're looking at the seven churches of Asia Minor. Now I want you to understand something as we go through these churches. Each one of them represent a period in history, in, in time, that represents the church of that era. Now as we look at Thyatira today, we're going to see that it's a corrupt church. It's a church that has really, really gotten away from God, if you will, and really doing a lot of immoral practices. And so it could be, uh, it could be representative of a period that's yet to come, and it could even represent the generation that we live in today. It really could. I, I remember uh, preaching a few weeks ago in the church at Smyrna. I believe it represented the church in Acts chapter 2. God had no condemnation for that church, but he really exalted that church because that was a growing church. It was a church that was busting at the seams, the first century church. And so each one of these churches are representing a different area in time. I believe the next four are some to come even. And so it may represent some today. So I want to read a statement. I want you to listen to this statement I wrote. It says, God desires for his church, his bride, to be chaste. That is, he wants his church to be pure and holy. The church should never condone sin or compromise with sin or conform to the world. The bride of Christ should reflect its bridegroom. Amen? And so, 
That's why Jesus had some very harsh things to say to five of the seven churches that we're studying regarding their flawed condition. So far, we looked at the church of Ephesus, the church of Pergamos, and the church at Smyrna. And so Jesus had some accusations for two of those three churches. Ephesus had left their first love. They had drifted away. The, the church is the people. They had drifted away. The church at Pergamos uh, was a persecuted church, but they had begun to compromise things. You know, the doctrine that they had, the Word of God, they began to compromise things because of the culture to make people fit in and feel good. And then, of course, the church at Smyrna had no accusation but just approval to those. And I, again, I believe they represent the first century church. As we continue these last four churches... Today, Thyatira, we're going to talk about it, but as we, continue, as we continue to study the next four churches, I want, to, I, want to just, I want you to draw your attention to this. In evaluating these four churches, we're going to see the judgment of God getting stronger and stronger on each of these churches. Again, they may represent the church of our generation or, some, or the peerage to come. I don't know, but I know these churches are, are under God's judgment. Now, today we're going to talk about Thyatira, which is the corrupt church. In Revelation chapter 2, look in verse 18. And to the angel, remember that's the messenger, or you could even say the pastor of the church, to the angel of the church of Thyatira, write. Now, the church of uh, Thyatira, if you look at that church and study it, by the way, this is the longest message for the smallest church. Jesus had a lot to say about Thyatira. It was a military garrison. It was originally built to protect the, the metropolis of Ephesus, the church of Ephesus. And so it was a smaller church, a military garrison. It was also a commercial church. And if you remember in Acts chapter 16 and verse 14, the apostle Paul, when he was going through Macedonia, he came to the city of Philippi, and there he met a lady by the name of Lydia, who was a seller of purple. And she was from the city of Thyatira. And that's one of the reasons it got, got its name there. If you look at that, the, the city of purple, it was a commercial city known for fabric dyeing commerce there. Now, first thing I want you to see in your outline you have today, I want you to look at Jesus' attributes. Let's look at a few of the attributes. Now, John covered this in John chapter 1, or, or Revelation chapter 1. And so as we look at Jesus' attributes, I want you to look at how John pulled together chapter 1, the things that he mentioned about Jesus there, the attributes of Jesus, the characteristics of Jesus. He pulls those down also to chapter 2. Now, there's a significant difference that I want to bring out just in passing. I want you to see this. Now, look in John chapter 1 and look in verse 13. John chapter 1 and verse 13. Look what John the Revelator, if you will, writing about Jesus. Remember, he's in the Spirit. He's seeing Jesus in heaven, his, glorif his glorified body, if you will, the person of Jesus. Now, verse 13. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of... What does your Bible say? The Son of what? Son of man. This is not a test. Okay, you can talk. This, this is the only time you're going to get to talk out loud, okay? So you can say man. It's the son of man. I want you to see that. This is very significant here. I want you to watch. In the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the son of man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about his chest with a golden band. Verse 14. His head and his hair were like wool, as white as snow. 
and his eyes were like a flame of fire. Now turn over to chapter 2 and look in verse 18. Look what John says now about Jesus in chapter 2. Look in verse 18. To the things of Thyatira write these things. These things says the Son of God, not the Son of Man. This is the only place in Revelation where the Son of God is used. The only place. But in chapter 1, he referred to Jesus as the Son of Man. And now he comes to chapter 2, the church of Thyatira. He says the Son of God. Look at this, same thing. Watch it, verse number 2. And his feet and his eyes were like a flame of fire, and his feet like brass. Now, what's significant about that? Uh, the, son of, the Son of God, the Son of Man represents Jesus' humanity. Now, we know this. A lot of times Jesus referred to himself while he was on earth as the Son of Man, which represents Jesus in his humanity. It represents his compassion, it represents his care. It represents his, trans, his, his weaknesses and flaws, if you will, his humanity. But it also represents his relationship to us. I, I was teaching a new members class this morning. And one of the doctrines that we have here at Lindsay Lane, we believe that Jesus is not a son of God. Jesus is the son of God. In other words, Jesus is God with, with skin on. Right? So Jesus is God. But when he refers to himself as the Son of Man, he's referring to his humanity, his relationship to you and I as man. Now, what's significant about the Son of God? The Son of God, when he refers to himself as the Son of God, he's referring to himself as God. He's man and God. And so when he says the Son of God, he's emphasizing his holiness, his, trans, his, transit, his transcendent, trans. Uh, transparency. There it is, transparency. As he is God in the flesh. But he's also representing, when he says the Son of God versus the Son of Man, he's representing his judgment. So the point is this. In chapter 2, he refers to himself, the only place in, in Revelation that he refers to himself as Son of God, he's referring to himself, not, not per se that relationship with man and that compassion and all that, but now he's coming to his judgment. God, the Son of God, is coming to judge the world. God's not going to judge the world. He's left that to His Son, the Son of God, with His flaming eyes of fire. He's coming to judge the world. Now, He came the first time to do what? To die for our sin. As the Son of Man, He came to relate to me. He died for me. He became just like me as a Son of Man. But He was resurrected back to the Father, and because of God's judgment... Jesus, the Son of God, is coming back. And we're going to see this in Revelation, so get ready. The Son of God is coming back with eyes like flames of fire. Not so compassionate, per se, but with judgment. And I'll elaborate on that a little more as we go. So, John delivers a message of severe warning and judgment to this congregation, the church of Thyatira. Now, John's approval, Jesus' approval. Look in verse 19. That's Jesus' attributes. Look at Jesus' approval, verse 19. I know your works. Now, by the way, he had something good about all of them. Here it is. I know your works, how you love. You love people. You have service. You have faith. And you have patience. You're enduring. And look at this. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. 
So evidently they were growing. This church was growing. They were working. They were busy. They had a lot of ministry. They had a lot of activity going on. So like a lot of churches, they had a lot of stuff happening. But there also were some flaws that Jesus points out as well. And so as we look at the church of Thyatira, they were a busy church. They were an active church. And the, the last works were more than the first, so you would say, hey, this is a good church. I mean, they've grown, like Lindsay Lane. Lindsay Lane's a growing church. We've grown from where we've started, and so they had too. They were a busy church. So what was the problem? What's the problem, Jesus? Well, the problem is you're condoning sin, and you're tolerating sinful immorality. They're tolerating it. And that's his point. That's his accusation. So, listen to this truth in your outline. No amount of love and service can compensate tolerance of evil. And we have this word in our society today being tolerant. And there's something we should be tolerant of. We shouldn't be racist. We shouldn't be prejudiced, things like that. People are our brothers and sisters in Christ. There's no place for division and racism and all of these kind of things. But when it comes to sin and immorality, we're not to be tolerant of that. Amen? The church must take a stand of all people. The Christians must have a stand for right and wrong. And the problem here at Thyatira, what they were doing, they were compromising their values. They were compromising what they had been first to believe and teach. And now maybe to fit into the culture, whatever it was, Maybe to draw a crowd, they were compromising their values and allowing immorality and sin to come into their church. And so Jesus said, I can't tolerate that. And so that brings us to Jesus' accusation. Look in verse 20. Look in verse 20 and 21. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Right? Is that what he says? You know, they did a lot of good things. It's kind of like I... I, I tell Patsy at times, I say, baby doll, you're doing a lot of stuff good. I mean, you're looking good. You know, you clean the house and all of that. But I got one thing against you. You're an Auburn fan. <laughs> Can I get a witness? But uh, <laughs> You know, you got to draw the line somewhere, right? And all the Auburn fans said, boo. Revelation's going to be tough. So I have to have some light moments in here, okay? But I want you to think about this. Jesus just told them, like he did the other churches, this is some things you're doing good. A lot, a lot of times we tell, do our children this way, do we not? Now, you did this good and this good, but, you know, you struck out. But here's how you don't strike out. Here's what you've got to do. And so here's what Jesus is saying. He said, this, this is some approvals, but i got some things against you church at Thyatira. Here's some things, some accusations that you're doing that I cannot tolerate. And when Jesus cannot tolerate something, as a son of God, there brings judgment, even individually in my life or your life or as a church or as a nation. We're inviting the intolerance, if you will, the judgment of God on us when we compromise and tolerate sin in our lives. We're inviting the hand of God. If you're compromising your sin or you're having sexual immorality or whatever it is in your life, I'm just warning you, you're inviting the judgment of God on your life. As a church body, we're doing that. It happens to churches. 
or as individuals or as a nation. And I think one of the things I'm afraid of America is we're starting to tolerate some stuff. And I wonder how God's viewing this in the hand of God. All right? Now look what the look at his accusation. Nevertheless, I got a few things against you because you have allowed that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, a preacher. She was preaching. She was teaching the people to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, what is Jesus saying here? You remember I said earlier he's the bridegroom and the church is his bride. That means I'm his bride. That means you're his bride. And if somebody comes in here and starts counterfeiting or teaching you things against the Word of God, things that are evil and sinful, you think the bridegroom's going to put up with that? You start messing with my bride, Patsy, we're going to talk. I mean, I won't get in your face if you start messing. And you think about this. We're the bride of Christ. He's the bridegroom. And if we start having heresy, we start tolerating evil in our lives, we start compromising as a church body, the bridegroom's going to step up. This is my body. This is my bride. And I'm not going to tolerate sexual immorality or any kind of other sin. I'm not going to tolerate that. I forgive sin. I've done that. I paid for your sins. You are my children. You are my church. Now I want you to love me. I want you to act like it. I want you to let me know, hey, I love you. And I'm, 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 I'm chaste. I'm pure. And I'm holy. And I'm living righteously as best that I can in this sinful body. And so God's looking at this church, and we're seeing this right before our eyes. And he's called out this lady Jezebel. Now, this wasn't the Jezebel in the Old Testament. The, word, the name Jezebel here is only symbolic. Now, this woman was a hellion. This woman thought she was somebody, and she wasn't. She thought she was a preacher, a prophetess. And what she had done, they had, they had become hunky-dory with her or, or brought her in started listening to her and she started seducing my servants he says she's teaching you evil and sexual immorality and he calls her Jezebel for a reason now here's why if you'll read first Kings chapter 16 through 19 you'll read about the Old Testament Jezebel who was the wife of Ahab the Bible says that Ahab ticked God off more than any other king there was no other king that, that irritated God or, 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 or caused God's judgment on Israel more than Ahab. And one of the reasons was he was influenced by his wife. Read it. Jezebel brought Baal worship into the church, into Israel. She's the one that promoted Baal worship, worshiping idolatry and idols and in high places and having orgies and sexual immorality in the name of religion. She corrupted Israel. And God, if you read the Old Testament, you don't see all that grace in the Old Testament. You see judgment all the way through there, how God dealt with them. That's why I'm glad we're in the New Testament. We have grace of God, right? Or if we didn't, we'd already be zapped. That's the only reason we're not zapped today is through the Holy Spirit of God and the grace of God in our lives, through Jesus Christ. That's why you need to love Jesus. He's keeping you from being zapped. He wants you to come to Him and believe in Him and trust in Him and 
make him your Savior and have a relationship with him. Because one day he's going to come back zapping. He's coming. I'm telling you, we're going to read this in the the next few weeks. He's going to start zapping during the tribulation period. And so that's why you need to be a Christian today. And so Jesus said, I got this against you. Jezebel was a hellion. And she promoted all this kind of sexual immorality in the church. And now he says, this woman, Jezebel, who you've allowed to come in and preach and prophesy things, and she's telling you wrong and corrupting, worshiping, eating meat under idols, worshiping idolatry, just like Jezebel, the Old Testament. She's come in and corrupted you, and now you're steep in sexual immorality, and you're tolerating evil, and you're compromising. And I got something to say to you. You've done some good things. You're a growing church. But I'm telling you, I am not going to put up what's going on here in Thyatira. That's what he's saying. Exactly what he's saying. And so what did he do? He said, repent. Repent. Turn away from your sin, your idolatry, your sexual immorality and all that. Turn away from it. And by the way, I'll give Jezebel time to repent. Look in verse 22. Verse 21. And I gave her, Jezebel, time to repent. Turn around. Change direction. Repent of what? Her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. By the way, aren't you glad God gives us time to repent? Anybody in here have never sinned? If you've sinned, and you have then aren't you glad that God's given us another opportunity that we can repent of our sin and He'll forgive us and save us and clean us up and take us to heaven? Aren't you glad of that? Amen. Aren't you glad of that? That's what He does for us. That's what He wants to do for you. Some of you in here today are tolerating sin. You've compromised and you're finding yourself in no man's land and somebody invited you to church. Somebody loves you enough to tell you about Jesus and you're here today hearing this message. And my prayer for you today is you'll receive it as a gift from God that he loves you that much, that he'd forgive you of all of your sin. doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what it is. God will forgive you and save you today and clean you up and change directions and help you on your journey through life. God wants to do that for you. He really does. And so he gave Jezebel time to repent. And he also gave the church the other's time to repent as well. Look at there in verse 22. Look what it says. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, but she didn't repent. By the way, remember Solomon and Glamorah? Abraham said, Lord, there's some righteous people in there. I'm just sure of it. Okay, give me 50 and I won't destroy it. Well, what about 45? All right, I'll take 40. All right, what about 30? What about 20, 25, 15? I can't even find 15. And I'm, I'm going to destroy it. I'm fixing to wipe Solomon and Gomorrah off the map because there's no righteousness there. Everybody's yielded to sexual immorality and sin. Took them out. That's the same God. That's the same God that we worship. But he gave us grace. He gave us mercy. He's forgiven us. He sent us Jesus to die on the cross that we could have a relationship with him to prevent his judgment in your life. Romans 8, 1. Listen. There is no condemnation in those that love Jesus. No condemnation. No judgment. You you know what was judged? Your sin? Right here. 
That's when it was judged on Jesus. Do you have him in your heart? Are you in Christ? If you're not, you're going to be judged for your sin. It's very important we understand this. Let me give you Jesus' admonition. Look what he said. He brings it out here. He points it out. Now, here's what I was talking about earlier. I want you to catch this. This is the eyes of the flame of Jesus. That's why John brought that out, by the way. He talked about how Jesus looked. You know, his feet was like brass. His eyes was like flame. And see, the further you go into Revelations, it unfolds. The Son of God begins to bring judgment. And we're going to talk about a lot of judgment during the tribulation period when Jesus judges the world. Now, I want you to see this in verse number 22. Watch what he says. Indeed, I will cast her into a sick bed. Speaking of Jezebel, this is his admonition. This is his judgment. I'm going to cast her into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her. In other words, the church, the, the people in the church who are following Jezebel and compromising sin and living in sexual immorality and don't repent, then I'm going to cast you into judgment. what he's speaking of there. It's a reference here. It's a reference to the marriage bed in Hebrews even. He talks about that. Look at it. He gives a reference. I, I will cast her into sick bed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. Now, don't miss this. Unless they repent. That's why John the Baptist was come preaching repentance. Repent of your sin. And if you don't, you're going to be cast in the same pool with Jezebel and Ahab and Satan and all of his crowd if you don't repent and receive Jesus Christ. That's Bible 101. It really is. And we're going to see the judgment of God as we continue to go through here. But he gave them time to repent. Look in verse 23. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he. Look at this. All the churches, not just those seven, but all the churches going to know that I am he who searches in the minds and the hearts, and I will give each one of them according to their works. I'm going to be judging according to what you do with Jesus. All right? Now, as we look at this, we make no mistake that Jesus Christ is coming back, and, the, and John references the eyes of the flame of fire as judgment. Look, listen to what John, John Sice said. It's in your outline. He said this, there is nothing more piercing than flaming fire. By the way, how's God going to judge the earth? Not with flood. It's not going to be another flood. It's going to be fire. There is nothing more piercing than flaming fire. Everything yields and melts before it. It penetrates all things, consumes every opposition, sweeps down all obstruction, and presses its way in invincible power. And of this sort are the eyes of Jesus. They look through everything. They pierce through all the masks and all the religious coverings. They search the remotest recesses. They behold the most hidden things of the soul. And there is no escape from them. What are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about Revelation. I'm talking about the tribulation period we're going to talk about in a few weeks. I'm talking about those who never received Jesus Christ are not going to be raptured out of here. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there's coming a day. David Jeremiah, I've been reading him. He said he thinks it's in the next seven years. That's just his opinion. But he said he thinks in the next seven years he's going to see the rapture happen. Heard him say that the other day. Kind of interesting, isn't it? 
He don't know, by the way. He's David Jeremiah, but he don't know that. But he just said that. It's kind of interesting. But I'm telling you this. One day it is going to happen. The church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ is going to be raptured out of here. And those left behind are going to go through all kind of hell. And some of these people say, well, I'm, I, I'm getting hell on earth today. You don't have a clue. You don't have a clue what's coming. I'm going to show you in the book of Revelation in a few weeks. And it's not a pretty picture. It's really not. Those who are left behind without Jesus Christ are going to go through the tribulation period. And he's trying to warn the churches. This is why we're talking about these seven churches. He's trying to warn them of the judgment of the Son of Man. He came as a Son of God. He came as a Son of Man to relate to us so we can be saved. And he's coming back as a Son of God to judge the world. Now, Jezebel and her followers are going to be sentenced to the tribulation and death. And all of those who follow her and don't repent. And so... Let me, let me give you these last three things. Number one, I want you to see the remnant. Now, here's something that's good news. <coughs> Excuse me. Still got some crab legs hung. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, don't you think about this. All through time, God's had a remnant. All through time. You know, even when Moses came and he, he destroyed all of those on Mount Sinai, remember the earth caved in, all thousands of them went in, but always a remnant. Always God has a remnant. And so we're going to talk about right now, I want you to see this in Scripture, some of those in this church, this is a corrupt church, been infiltrated by Jezebel and teaching them sexual, having orgies and sexual things in the name of religion. But everybody didn't bow down to Baal, even in Israel. And even the church of Thyatira, everybody didn't go for it. You remember, you remember in the church of Pergamos, you remember Antipas? He, he, he was a martyr death because he would not compromise in that church. And so there's some here, the remnant. Look at it with me. Look in verse uh, 24 and following. Now, now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine... Doctrine of Jezebel, who have not known the depths of Satan. <clears throat> Can you imagine the depths of Satan? Have you ever seen somebody who said, I cannot believe they got that low? My mama probably said that about me one time. I know my wife did. And friends, I just can't believe Dusty's doing all that stuff. And I'm telling you, it's not a pretty picture when you sink low in sin. See, when you reach the depths of Satan, you're in the Satan's crowd. You're hanging out with a crowd that Satan's got his hand on. And you're doing things you never thought you would do. You're saying things you never thought you would say. And you've compromised the values you've been taught and raised with. And even in the church, there's people who used to be great leaders in the church and they've fallen away and compromised for the sake of pleasure and for the sake of sexual immorality or all kind of sin. And this is what God is saying to this church. He said, there's a remnant that hasn't done that. And he's judging. He's going to judge the world. But there's always a remnant. This is, this is who's going to be raptured, by the way. The remnant called the church. 
And so even in Thyatira, he said, there's some of you that haven't bowed your knee to Jezebel or to Baal. And he says, I will put, I will put on you no other burden. Isn't that awesome? That's why I believe I'm a pre-trib. I believe the church is not going to have to go through the tribulation period. And I'll show you why I believe that when we get later on into that. But I believe that. I just, just look at this. I will put on you no other burden. Because you have not, if you have not bent the knee to Jezebel and the Baal. But hold fast what you have till I come. By the way, you do know he's coming back. Hold fast, stand firm, endure. Let us not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we don't quit. Hold fast. That's what he's saying. That's the remnant. He's always had one. And so these have not bowed their knee into the depths of Satan. Now, look at the rain. That's the remnant. What's going to happen to the remnant? Look at it. I love this. But hold fast till till I come back. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Wow. You mean we're going to judge nations? When is that going to happen? During the millennial kingdom? When we come back with Jesus, as we've been raptured out, getting our glorified state? And then we're going to come back with him. We're going to reign with Jesus. Let me just give you one little verse. I want you to turn to Revelations chapter 20, verse 4. Look in Revelations chapter 20, verse 4. Just to whet your appetite a little bit. Look at this. <laughs> what did Jesus tell his disciples? One day you'll be on the throne and you'll judge nations. Did he tell them that? Now look in Revelations 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast for his image and had not received his mark on their forehead or on their hands. Now this is kind of during the tribulation period. And watch this. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Those who were saved in the tribulation period are with us who've been raptured out in heaven. And one day during the millennial kingdom when Jesus brings a new heaven and a new earth down and, the, and deals with Israel in the millennial kingdom, you and I will reign with Jesus. We'll reign with him. Can you imagine that? We'll be serving alongside of Jesus, the judge. And that's the reign of God. Now look at the reward, verse 28 and 29. Watch this. Verse 27 says, He shall rule them with a rod of iron. That's the judgment of God. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. Those, that's the ones who are left on earth who doesn't know Jesus Christ. It's going to be a judgment day. We're going to look at that. And then I want you to know the reward. Look at this in verse 28. And I will give him... The one that overcomes, he says this to every church, the overcomers. He said that up in verse number uh, 26. And he who overcomes, look, what, look, look at the reward. I will give him the morning star. Anybody know who the morning star is? Reference to there? Jesus. I will give to him the morning star. That is an awesome, when you look at that. Jesus in the scripture said he's the bright and morning star. Look in Revelation chapter 22. Let me just show it to you. Revelations chapter 22, and look in verse number uh, 16. 
Revelation 22, 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. We're reading about it. And I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. When you read that, it's kind of like we're saying Jesus belongs to us. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. He's our bright and morning star. I noticed the sunrise this morning when I got up. <coughs> it was rising up above the, the tree line there. It was beautiful. I mean beautiful. And I thought about how beautiful Jesus is going to be when I see him face to face. He's going to be like the brightest star you can imagine, the beautiful sunrise or sunset you can ever think about. <coughs> I must have got one of those. Can you imagine what it's going to be like? That song, Mercy Me, tried to capture it. I can only imagine. And I can only imagine. I do imagine a lot. I really do. I think about these things. I meditate on these things, what it's going to be like, best I can imagine, and read from Scripture. But he gives us this reward, the bright and morning star. In Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, he refers to the star of Jacob, star of Israel. That would be a reference to Jesus in the Old Testament. You know, Satan's always trying to counterfeit Jesus. You know, in uh, Isaiah chapter 14, I believe it is, verse 12, Satan is referred to as Lucifer. And that word Lucifer means the bright star. And so he's always, think about it, he's always trying to counterfeit Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the bright and morning star. And Satan said, I'm, I'm a bright star too. Yeah, you got kicked out. You're not the bright star. Matter of fact, you're the prince of darkness. <clears throat> My point is this. The church at Thyatira got sucked in to Jesus's I mean, to Satan's counterfeit. Jesus is the bright and morning star. He's your Savior and he's your Lord. There's going to be people along the way who aren't what they say they are. They're going to be wolves in sheepskin. And I've been teaching this on Wednesday night with the Apostle Peter's teaching about people who come into the church and try to seduce you with false teachings and false doctrines and things that ungodly and if you're not careful, we'll be like the church of Thyatira. We'll fall into it and compromise our values and our morals. And the next thing you know, we're living in sin and feeling good about it. Because we did it in the name of religion. And those days are coming to the church, I believe. Worse than it is now. And I'm going to talk to you next few weeks about these next three, three churches. And we're going to see how the church compromises and how Jesus calls our hand to it. And he's saying, Lindsay Lane, beware. Dusty, you're the church. Bradley, Randy, Jamie, you're the church. It's not this building. Lindsay Lane is not this building. It's you. So if you compromise and you start doing things that aren't godly, then you represent the church. And you're also inviting the hand of God on your life individually and even on the church. This is a good message for us to beware of who we are and what we are 
how God loves us and saved us, but he also warns us that in Christ we can do all things. We can be all things. God's given you the power of the Holy Spirit to live a godly life. Perfect life? No. You, can't be, you cannot live a perfect life in this body. You can sure live a lot better than you used to, right? And I can too, and we're growing. But a word of caution as I close today, beware. This is just one of the churches. Next week, we're going to look at either one or two. And I'm telling you, after these first three, the last four starts getting more devastating because the times are getting near. Some of you are like me. I'm a little older than probably most of you in this room. I have seen a great change in the church in the last 25 years. A lot of you can say amen to that. Things that used to, we used to do as a church, things we used to be as a church, people used to be committed, loyal to the church and the bride of Christ. It's not seeing that anymore like it used to be. So I think it's a caution that we are seeing Scripture being fulfilled right before our eyes. We're seeing laws put into practice like abortion and homosexuality and things like that that made our grandfathers clean in the grave. And now it's everyday acceptance, right? It can happen in the church too because the church is you and the church is me. I'm to guard my own life. I'm to beware of the depths of Satan and I'm to claim the blood of Christ against it. I can live victorious and I can overcome. And by the help of Christ in my life, I'm doing exactly that. Are you, Lindsay Lane, are we? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray today that you would help this great church called Lindsay Lane. Father, we're the people. We are the church. We're the bride of Christ. We're the body of Christ. Every one of us. And we're not perfect. I know all of us make mistakes. We know that. But Lord, we also have a we also have an indication in within us called the Holy Spirit that lets us know what's right and wrong. The Holy Spirit helps us with that. We're not to compromise that. We're not to fall in love with those who seduce us, things we want to hear. We're to hear the truth, and the truth to set us free. I, I believe with all my heart today, Lord, I preach the message of truth. And I pray today that you would bring conviction, that we would repent. If we need to repent, you'll let us know. Nobody's going to call anybody out. Only the Holy Spirit of God lets people know when they need to repent. And the Holy Spirit's moving in this service in our hearts. Some need to be saved. Some need to repent. Some need to get some things right. Maybe unforgiveness, maybe prejudice, on and on and on. And I'm praying right now, Lord, you do a great work in this service. I pray that you'd bind Satan and his influence of embarrassment, his influence of fear. And I pray, God, you would just do a work. Some even want to join this church and be a part of Lindsay Lane. Some want to come and pray at the altar. But some need to come to this front pew here and just say, hey, I need to pray. I, I need to be saved today. And our pastor's here just to not embarrass them, but we'll have someone talk with them and say, hey, what, what's your need? We're just here to help you. I pray for that, Lord. Let your will be done. I pray and put it in your hands. The only one that can change a life, his name is Jesus. 
Amen and amen. Would you stand? If you need to come, make your way. As we sing, Dwayne's going to lead us. You just come right now.